1: And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through 1037 gamecom the free 103.7 Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any of the litany of ways you can kind of listen in through a podcast gimmick. Hope you have a holly jolly Christmas and consider this a stocking stuffer edition of the Cajun Strong Style podcast because we're going retro rewind for you, the loyal listener, and I'm absolutely looking forward to this one. So let's go ahead and hit the rewind button on the old VHS tape or however you're going to watch this episode of Monday Night Raw. I know I watch it through the network, so let's get to it right now. In 80 countries, in seven languages, to over a half billion viewers each week, the World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. This is a special one for me, without a doubt, because this is probably the first bit of wrestling I remember watching growing up. Because back in when I was growing up, I was about like eight, seven or eight years old. Whenever wrestling was really getting into the Attitude Era, it was really getting gritty and then the swearing and whatnot. So my parents kind of told, like, made sure I did not watch wrestling till I was a little bit older. I want to start watching wrestling a lot more hardcore in 99, but I vividly remember watching this episode of Monday Night Raw. This is December 22nd, 1997. It's the episode where Austin Santa, And, you know, I remember being around wrestling a lot growing up. I played with the action figures. My uncle gave me a bunch of those I can remember. Maybe I had a Ted DiBiase and a Jim Neidhart. I think the Jim Neidhart action figure, like, when you pressed on it, the head would fly up, and we always laughed at that thing called it the Nutcracker, and it was just really weird. But I always loved that. Also, got his WrestleMania ring. I got that from him. Just some really cool stuff that I've like really like. I loved wrestling, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. So I, I knew what I knew what wrestling was. I knew it was a thing that was going on in the world, but I just didn't watch it because it was not suitable for a young child. At least that's what my parents thought. But you know. I can remember one night I was at my grandmother's house. I think this is might've been whenever we were still under construction at my, at my parents' house now is that, you know, I was at my grandma's house and my grandfather already going to bed at this point. And I can remember whenever we were young, whenever he was at the house and he was at the house a lot of the time at night. So we kind of sit back, watch TV for a bit. And then once he had dinner, he kind of chill for a bit and then go to bed. But whenever he was in the house and he was, In his couch. He controlled the TV. He controlled what channel was on, and that was it. There was no other say-so in that kind of conversation. So when he left, went to the other room, I decided to start flipping channels. I'm gonna go ahead and channel surf a little bit. I knew my way, I knew what channels I wanted to go check out. But then all of a sudden, little CD sees Santa Claus on the TV, and as an I believe I was eight years old at this point. I decided to keep it tuned in because, hey, it's a, it's Santa Claus, it's a Christmas thing. Okay, I'm gonna go check this out, see what's going on. And then, little did I know that this moment was this was the moment I became a fan of pro wrestling. And the game in Die Hard won a couple years after this. And 23 years later, I'm still a fan to this very day. In fact, I'm doing a podcast right now, a little bit of the fourth wall right there. That being said, a lot like what I did the last time with the Cajun Strong Style podcast, let's hop into the DeLorean and look back at the time frame in the world of wrestling, because a lot like 1990, this was an interesting one. And unlike the last one, I'm not going to go into the whole Indies thing and into the territories, because the territories were largely dead at this point. Let's look at the big three. The WWF was starting to make a turn. They had started to kind of metamorphose into the golden age of pro wrestling, the attitude area. They'd already kind of just start to lay the foundation. This all goes back to earlier in the year, WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart, and Steve Austin, all that stuff, the iconic match that led to the double turn and wound up becoming the biggest draw in pro wrestling, we just didn't realize how quickly this thing was going to ascend within a year. It wasn't an overnight shift, but the content started to become more and more mature as the year went on. And then yet one of the more controversial moments in wrestling history happened with the Montreal Screwjob at Survivor Series just a month prior. The story's been told so many times over the years, I'm not even going to mention what happened because... Any wrestling fan worth their salt knows what happened at Survivor Series 1997, the Montreal Screwjob. But this listered in the Mr. McMahon character and the infamous Brett Screwed Brett promo. And speaking of Mr. McMahon, the week before this episode of Monday Night Raw, Mr. McMahon had a video editorial that aired that could really be marked as the exact moment. You could pinpoint it, the exact
0: moment the Attitude Era began. It has been said that anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation, but now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner. Even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved, the key word in that phrase is entertainment. The WWF extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide-open environment of broad-based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the Days of Our Lives, or music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others, cartoons like the King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passé. Therefore, we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. However, due to the live nature of Raw in the war zone, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as it relates to the younger audience allowed to stay up late. Other WWF programs on USA, such as Saturday Morning Live Wire and Sunday Morning Superstars, where there's a 40% increase in the younger audience, obviously, however, need no such discretion. We are responsible television producers who work hard to bring you this outrageous, wacky, wonderful world known as the WWF. Through some 50 years, the World Wrestling Federation has been an entertainment mainstay here in North America and all over the world. One of the reasons for that longevity is, as the times have changed... So have we. I'm happy to say that this new, vibrant, creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in television viewership, for which we thank USA Network and TSN for allowing us to have the creative freedom. But most especially, we would like to thank you for watching. Raw and the Warzone are definitely the cure for the common show.
1: Sticking with the WWF for a little bit, Shawn Michaels stirred up a ton of controversy just before the holiday season. At house shows because they were kind of getting ready to wrap up their house show schedule sound like how it used to be pre-covid when they have like a day after christmas show at msg they usually kind of wrapped up right before christmas and this was one of those shows take they went to little rock arkansas and started up a bit of a riot according to dave Meltzer, he reported that sean and triple h came out and basically began riling up the crowd encouraging them to throw stuff and when they did Sean got hit something, hit with something, and once again told the crowd that they just lost their main event. This happened the night before in Memphis, and they just kind of were, were upset. They weren't really that PO'd about it, but this crowd was absolutely pissed. At first, the, th- the crowd thought it was part of the show, and it was a work, until the announcer for- informed the fans that the show was over, at which point a full-blown rally broke out, chairs, bottles being thrown, and they had to get police to plow through the crowd to try and get them to calm down, basically Think about the Simpsons episode of the auto show times probably 10 in real life. You remember the auto show whenever Spinal Tap made their way to Springfield and then they kind of just ended the show earlier and that place was a full-blown riot. had to get the cops over and everything in between and Millhouse was basically underneath a bunch of chairs at the end. Hopefully that kind of situation didn't happen, but it was absolutely nuts and there were arrests and everything in between. One fan was even taken to the hospital and made story made a story on the local news, and even tear gas was sprayed to get the fans outside. Absolutely wild. And Jones, this area of Little Rock, never got a show until I think like the late 2000s. So that was absolutely an amazing time to be a fan of the WWF. Meanwhile, the WCW was, in my mind, nearing an iceberg. When you just look at the historical perspective of things, 1997, WCW was the hottest thing going. Starting on October 20th, Nitro was hitting consistently a 4.0 or higher in the ratings. You think about 4.0 in pro wrestling and you go to 2020 ratings you see WWE Raw kind of hitting the bottom of the barrel in terms of ratings. Now I think Obviously, ratings nowadays means a whole lot more because of the fact that not as many people are watching regular cable. But this was absolutely massive to see a cable network hit a 4.0 rating this consistently. And they were the biggest draw in pro wrestling. But Night raw was starting to fight back, though, as the end of the year drew close. And in fact, this was the go-home show for the biggest pay-per-view in the history of WCW. It was fast approaching. And this isn't hyperbole because it was this coming Sunday, K 97, headlined by Hogan versus Sting. The angle that probably could have pushed WCW into the stratosphere, but it was mired in controversy with Sting winning the title after Bret Hart restarted the match. It kind of looked a little bit shady and kind of dumb. And that's kind of where the whole debate begins and ends for Monday Night Raw and what happened with the Monday Night Wars. This was kind of that moment. It was nearing the iceberg in my mind. I'm going to call it the iceberg because after that you can start seeing things kind of fall into place, the proverbial dominoes. WWE was starting to build up Stone Cold Steve Austin. You had the Mike Tyson announcement, and things started to build up while WCW continued to kind of push towards the absurd. And the Knights Nitro was actually an interesting experiment with the show becoming NWO Nitro. This was essentially a pilot for what eventually became Thunder on TBS, the Superstation, And it was going to be a second show solely for the NWO, but the idea flopped and flopped hard. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it took a freaking half hour to, like, I watched this episode of Nitro just to kind of get a little context about what the hell was going on with WCW in 1997. Because, again, I knew a little bit about it. I remember playing the WCW NWO revenge games and all that stuff. I remember that. But this was kind of a, it's a blind spot for me, 1997 WCW. And this was really where things like jumped the shark a little bit. And they had they had some really solid stuff here. Like, I mean, you had Finley, Eddie Guerrero had a fun match with Finley winning by countout. Steve Mongo, McMichael defeated Ming. And also they showed a graphic after the first segment showing Kevin Green, the sack master who recently passed away thoughts and prayers to the Kevin Green family. But I, I laughed at the whole, like that sack master as his graphic, but yeah, that's how the, But the December 22nd Nitro, it started out as Monday Nitro, and then Eric Bischoff shocked the world by having NWO take down everything. And it spent a half hour of the show, literally half hour of the show, basically taking down the old set and putting up the NWO banners, the NWO Nitro thing, covering up the entryway for WCW. It was a mess of what was going on with this show. You had some decent stuff all throughout the show, but it was very much... A throwaway, and you're all building towards Starcade 97, which could have been the real kind of death knell for the WWF, but lo and behold, things did not happen that way. Meanwhile, ECW was starting to make some waves. Not big, but some. The third-place promotion in ECW had really started to make a name for itself by the time 1997 rolled around. They kind of had a partnership with the WWF to promote their first pay-per-view, barely legal, with their quote-unquote invasion. This is back in February to start the year. But at this point in time, they were kind of having to make a lot of changes. You had Stevie Richards' future. He was in question after he missed the weekend shows. And word is he had a visit with his doctor who told him his neck hasn't improved while he's been out. And the doctor recommended he stop wrestling. Lo and behold, Stevie would continue to wrestle for several years after. And then we see Al Snow continue to get over huge with his new head gimmick in ECW. What does everybody want? You heard me right. That's where this whole thing got started, and it was really awesome, the fact that this was getting over. And there's some cool videos up on YouTube. I might put them in the podcast notes so you can check it out, of Al Snow. Actually, in his entrance, people went nuts. People all had the mannequin heads. He was probably the most over guy in ECW, and that's not hyperbole. And he also had some interesting names in the backstage area, including Aaron O'Grady, who was later known to be Crash Holly, rest in peace, is already gone from ECW at this point after only working a couple of shows. He's planning to live at the ECW school, but they kicked him out because he wouldn't help set up the ring at an indie show. What What a jabroni. And Bam Bam Bigelow was putting it together, which got him some heat with the rest of the locker room. So eventually they just booted him out and that was it. And then a couple weeks later, ECW formed a partnership with FMW, which wound up bringing the big highlight Masato Tanaka to an ECW and more importantly a United States audience. No doubt Tanaka, absolutely one of my favorite guys from WCW. His matches with Mike Awesome were absolutely kick ass. But enough about that. Let's go ahead and get into the main event and get to why I'm here with you on this Christmas Day. So hopefully you're enjoying your Christmas Day. Maybe some eggnog. Maybe you're finishing to open up the presents. Consider this one more present for you: the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Hey, let's get to the main event. WWF Raw, pre-taped from the Memorial Auditorium in Lowell, Massachusetts. It will look like a packed house, relatively speaking, of course. And at first, like this whole time, I thought this was the Manhattan Center, the old school Manhattan Center that used to do WWF Raw. It looks very similar. It's a very much a smaller building. It's an auditorium, obviously. It felt a lot more intimate, and it reminded me a lot of the Manhattan Center, like the old WWF Raw, like all the videos that I used to see of the intros, it reminded me of that so much. But I was blown away by the fact that this was the exact opposite. This was a different setup, and it worked really well. I like the fact that it was, was packed like sardines. It made the place look even bigger, and I loved it. Then you had the opening with the video package recapping last week's angle with DX and the New Age Outlaws, putting the old warriors, put the Road Warriors, not the old warriors, the Road Warriors out to pasture. And I, I wrote this down in my notes. Did Road <laughs> Dog use chloroform to take out Hawk? It was the wildest thing ever. That was the opening, that was the opening montage. And I was like, hell yeah. It was so damn cool to see this like package go down. And it's like DX, New Age Outlaws just beating down the the Road Warriors, and they continue to try and do this throughout the night with Mankind. We'll get to that later. Then we get the raw intro with Thorn in Your Eye, but it's not the more iconic version. At least I think it was Thorn in Your Eye, because Hour Two wound up using the all together now thing which is really cool as well but it's like this version of the intro in terms of video it was the one with stone cold and ahmed johnson walk around the explosions and everything they had been using a lot around this point i'm probably wrong about this somebody can correct me on my twitter at cajun strong saw or at clint doming by the cajun strong saw that's spelled c-a-j-n strong saw because well i can't I ran out of characters on Twitter for my name. Thank you very much. So you have that going on with, and it's a really awesome intro, but I think they probably started using the more iconic like Raw's war one in like 98. I, could be Again, could be completely wrong here. Probably mid 98. It had to been like after, you know, Shawn Michaels retired and Stone Cold was a WWE champion. I'd have to probably go look it up. But open up is a show with DX's promo. And I forgot how much I hated the DX Titan Tron. Like how much it's just like so many different images flying at you at once. It's just like boom, 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 boom. Like 30 different things flying at you at once. And then you had Triple H and Shawn Michaels cutting promo talk, taking full credit for beating up the Road Warriors. Then Triple H calls out Owen Hart and tells him if he needs a pacifier, he's got something to suck on him. What? That's exactly what he said in 1997 almost 1998 like my god that was so cringy then hbk kind of is promoting the casket match of the royal rumble which turned out to be kind of a big reason why he retired the first around, probably for the better and says that the undertaker won't beat him next month he's never beaten him before and brings up what happened at hell in a cell at bad blood and then they kind of give the fans a christmas present showing their asses quite literally and they censor it up with the DX logo, and the crowd pops for it. Then Sgt. Slaughter comes out and says that Michaels has defended the European title in 60 days. So he either has to defend the title against Triple H, or Sgt. Slaughter strips him of the belt. And then they kind of take a quick commercial break. They come back, and they show Jim Ross, Michael Cole, and Kevin Kelly on commentary, which that alone was an amazing thing. I completely forget that Kevin Kelly, who's done a great job with New Japan Pro Wrestling and their kind of English commentary. I forget he had a good style when it comes to commentary, and he was really solid at his job at this point in time. Uh, and Then we get to probably one of my favorite tag teams from like the 90s that were relative jobbers, and it's Thrasher. Take on Henry Godwin in your opening contest. Hog take it on Thrasher. I popped the second I heard the Headbangers music because they had an absolute banger of a theme song, first of all. I think that's mainly because I just played the WWF Attitude game a lot when I was younger, and I just loved hearing that song every single time. The gameplay was absolute garbage, but I absolutely loved the Headbangers theme song. And when I heard him come back in 2016, I marked out for it. I was looking forward to this one, and it was Thrasher with Mosh and Hog with Pig at ringside. And this match goes on for a couple minutes, and Pig runs interference, and the match is thrown out, and uh, Thrasher wins by DQ. And the Godwins just start whipping the hell out of the headbangers after this, and it was all kind of just is you know, they had actually done a lot of country whipping matches in the build up to this show. It was like a lot of the house shows they had done country whipping matches, which was essentially a strap match. But it was really cool to kind of see them do this. And it was all kind of continuing a feud between those two. And then they kind of just cut away from it. Went to a video package from two weeks ago, recapping the New Age Outlaws beating the hell out of Dude Love. And they cut to the back. Mankind cut a great promo in a dark area of the arena and kind of the bowels of the Lowell Auditorium and says he doesn't want to spend this holiday season in pain because where when Dude Love feels pain, he feels pain as well. And wants to play in some reindeer games. He guarantees he will give the Outlaws the season's beating they deserve. This, this version of Mankind was awesome. The promos that he was cutting and everything about it was really cool. And the fact that were, they were really establishing the three faces of Foley. At this point in time, absolutely, I'm all the way here for it. Then we get to the segment that I remember to this day as like a young kid I'd never really watched much wrestling. I think i maybe watched like some WCW Saturday night, but it's not as vivid as this memory. Is seeing Austin, Sunning Santa. They show him, come back from break, stone cold through the IC title, over the bridge, and they went to an exclusive video from when Raw went off the air last week with Santa Claus, which sounded like Brooklyn Brawler, at least somewhat to me, but apparently it was just some guy named Roy, according to Bruce Prichard. And little kid came out and he was brought out to meet Saint Nick. The, the Santa was all just want to be horny and meet him uh, Sable that did not happen. We'll get to Sable <laughs> later in the in the show. But turns out the little kid was one of Rikishi's kids. I don't think it was Jimmy or Jade. Bruce Pritchard says it's Jimmy or Jade, but I just don't quite believe it was them. you think they would be they would talk about that a lot more on WWE programming. I believe this was like because I believe the Usos have three brothers. I think this was the third one because Rikishi was there at the time and he was basically kind of just there. And the other one of the other kids got an opportunity to be on TV. I don't think it was one of the Usos, because obviously the the Usos are a lot younger, and I think they might have been too little. Again, I don't know this exactly, but I absolutely love the fact that it's like one of the one of the Usos. One of the Usos, one of the Rikishi's kids. I want to say Usos, is whatever that's their actual name, it's Fatou. One of the Fatus. And the real kid says that's not the real Santa, which is absolutely perfect. And then Santa kicks him out of the ring, which then brings out Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of my favorite lines of the night.
0: Ho, ho, ho. Oh, hell
1: yeah. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. Just coming out, calling him a fat piece of trash. What? Ask him what he asked Santa for Christmas when he was young. What? To which Santa responds, a Barbie doll. What? And some tiddlywings. What? Stone Cold, then Stunned, Santa Claus, and I just fell in love with wrestling at that exact moment. I don't know why seeing Santa getting the crap kicked out of him worked for like 7-8-year-old me, but it did. And it was just a moment that always, stay, that always sticks with me. Again, no idea why, but that's a moment that stuck with me. And, you know, made me appreciate wrestling a lot more, and then eventually I became a full-blown fan a couple of years later. Whenever I started watching WCW and I watched the crappy WCW. So, you know, my taste in wrestling back then, and probably now it's not that great. And then we get to the rock Yeah, they use Rocky Maivia in the graphics. So it's like, I think they were still in the transitional phase of going from Rocky, Rocky to the rock. I think they were trying to transition that. I think by the, by the beginning of next year, it was officially kind of being fully known that it was the rock, not Rocky Maivia. And he was taking on the Undertaker. It's crazy thing that this is actually a free match on like TV, like a free TV match. Was the Rock versus the Undertaker, 1997. The Rock starts got a promo about being the new IC champion because Stone Cold vacated the title, and they just handed it to the Rock because Stone Cold was more focused on getting the WWF title, which he did at WrestleMania. And the Deadman comes out. Absolutely love the entrance. It's not as like overly dramatic as your boys' entrance, but it's still really, really freaking good. And, you know, this is a good, like, 10-minute match. It was a good match that really was highlighted by the Nation Domination running interference. The Rock looked good, even in kind of like you see him being, like, the other guys playing the heel outside the ring to cause a lot of chaos, but it was really cool. Nation Domination was running interference. The Phenom was still able to handle his business, and he hit the chokeslam and the tombstone. Just after the tombstone was about to go for the pinfall, Kane came out through the Christmas tree entrance and tried to get to The Undertaker to retaliate. Because again, this was the big storyline. The Kane Kane had just debuted not long ago and basically was wanting to goad The Undertaker into attacking him. It was his brother. And The Undertaker did not want to beat up his brother. And it continued to refuse to fight him. And Kane left him laying. So our two matches into the show... And there was a no DQ. There was a DQ and a no contest all in one night. How about that? Vince Russo had to have been booking during the show at this point. Then we get to hour number two of Monday Night Raw. We get to the European Championship match. So we get to start hour number two with Triple H and Shawn Michaels once again. They've been cutting promos off and on and showing them kind of exploding, if you will. Then it was supposed to happen. But Owen Hart mugs Triple H while he's making his entrance first comments they made earlier tonight about Owen being a nugget and whatnot, and the match doesn't occur right then and there. But Jim Ross confirms that the match will happen later tonight, so we get that as your main event of the evening. Then we get to a New Age Outlaws backstage segment where they think they beat a Mankind, but it was just some random dude backstage and makes you wonder like why has that, haven't they been charged with assault? Because it's outside of a ring. It's not inside a regular match. and It was just a regular civilian dude. To steal a phrase from Adam Schufter, assault. And then we get to a a squash match, if you will. Mark Merrow versus Scott freaking Taylor. Scottie Tuhati in WWF in 1997. That was a sight to see. It had been a while since I've seen Scottie Tuhati be involved in the sport of professional wrestling. And he absolutely crushed it here. It was a really good match. Marco Marco Merrow opens up and introduces Sable, who's donning a reindeer outfit. Mark Mero, a furry? I would think so. A really quick enhancement match. Probably, probably two, three minutes tops. Quick enhancement match. Taylor shined in spots with some near falls. Miro got the win with the TKO. Always like that finisher. The finisher looked really cool. And it's something I think like is underrated with some finishes. And this move just looked brutal. And it's kind of like a prelude to the F5, I guess. But after the match, you have Marco Miro. Still put on some moves, and he is basically about to hit the TKO again on Scott Taylor. And then you got Tom Brandy, the former Salvatore Sincere, is out here. He comes out to beat up Mark Mirror because they're having a feud, which was weird to think about. Salvatore Sincere, real name Tom Brandy, started using his real name because Mark Mirror called him that. And while Mark is down, Sable gets down to a Mrs. Claus outfit, which is pretty conservative compared to what we would eventually see in different magazines, including Playboy. Then we get a quick promo by Triple H having had the main event again and showing that maybe there was a little bit of a rat with China whispering in Triple H's ear what to say. And then we get to 8-Ball versus Kurgan with Don Callis, the Jackal, Cyrus, the Virus. Don Callis, I popped the second I saw Don Callis, and he had me pop as well with this one saying that Kurgan is the Alpha and the and his Omega. Maybe this has been a long-term build all along. Maybe Kenny Omega always wanted to have that be his ring name. Maybe, maybe this has been a long-term build. Either that or Don Callis has a freaking time machine. We get another short match, but this is mid-90s WWF-TV, right? When Vince Russo was booking a show where he'd be able to book a really good story to fit those two hours. But when it came to the in-ring action... He couldn't tell a wrist lock from a wrist watch. From everything I've heard, that's why these matches were very much kind of like four or five minutes at the most. This was another quick one. Kurgan wins with a slide slam, side slam in a little more than two minutes. Eight ball tries to get his heat back, but the Truth Commission comes out and gets a beat down on him before his brother comes out with a two-by-four. Yep, Ron and Don Harris in WWF. What a time in 1997. And then we get to another backstage segment. And the Outlaws are still good for Mankind. Not much happens here. They move on. Then we get Ken Shamrock versus D'Lo Brown. This was D'Lo Brown, like job D'Lo Brown. And trust me, I'm a big D'Lo Brown marks. So it's weird to see him be used as like a jobber to the stars here. He's still not necessarily as well. but He's kind of like the weak link of this group. He was going to be Eurocontinental champion in a couple of years, but it took some time. And this was a job match. Shamrock made short work of the future Eurocontinental champion. And I was interested in this. JR mentioned that Frank, Schra- Frank Shamrock, excuse me, he won the UFC middleweight championship. He beat Kevin Jackson in Japan just 24 hours prior. So it's safe to say while the show was taped, you had Jim Ross, Michael Cole, Jim Cornette, Kevin Kelly, all these guys out in Connecticut. And they were behind a green screen, a really crappy green screen. Of that. But, you know, that's just 2020. But, of course... The UFC middleweight title at the time, that's what it was called, it was renamed the light heavyweight title, not long after Shamrock retired without losing the title. He wound up losing just retiring, the title was vacated. And then I think a year later the show the UFC had changed to the middleweight, to the light heavyweight championship in terms of its lineage. Because technically I think the lineage of the light of the middleweight title now starts like two thousand and three, I guess. And then The Rock comes out and challenges the most dangerous man to an IC title match at the Rumble. And that was a really fun one, actually. I remember that Rumble match watching it a while back. Definitely a solid one. Then the New Age Outlaws finally find mankind. Took them long enough. It's not that big of an arena. How did it take that long to find mankind? And then Mankind's welcomes into the boiler room with a few trash can shots. Or it was just it looked like it was just like aluminum and he was hitting them with it. But it was really awesome. And then Foley, just so damn good. He's hitting him with it while singing Christmas carols. Foley's so obsessed with Christmas, he made sure his characters were obsessed with it as well. The Adalos wind up kind of getting the edge. And locking him in a walk-in freezer. Yes, you're right. Locking him up in a walk-in freezer. They used chloroform last week and threw a man into a freaking walk-in freezer. Absolutely nuts. Then we get to the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. Yep, you're right. They're actually using the artist formerly known as Prince Gimmick for Goldust. Weird times. And he's dressed like a low-budget Grinch slash a Christmas tree. It was the weirdest crap I've ever seen. But, again, it's 1997. gold Goldust, it's a weird time. And Luna and Goldust talk trash. Santa walks out to the ring, shows up and throws candy to the fans. And then they talk trash, which absolutely had me popping the whole time. And then Santa decks... Gold dust with his big sack, and t- which, by the way, yes, phrasing. And it turns out it was Vader, and I'm done. Like, right then and there, I'm like, really? Because again, I don't remember that part of Raw. Is like, I remember seeing Stone Cold and nothing else. So when I rewatched this show, I'm like, what the hell? Vader, Big Van Vader, is damn Santa Claus. What the hell? I mean, I understand it was part of the feud, but God, this was horrible. Like they turned Vader into a joke at this point, right? What well, is before, after the Kuwait incident, but made him just look like a complete Melvin. Maybe it's just a like fact I'm not in the holiday spirit. Bah humbug. Then we get to the main event of the night, the European championship, triple H taking on Shawn Michaels. And oh boy, this was an interesting way to end the program. A lot of stalling to start the match, if you want to call up that. Collar and elbow tie up. Michaels falls down. And then Triple H starts running the ropes like the Ultimate Warrior. And he runs ropes about four or five times. Feels like it goes on forever. And then hits a really fake-ass splash to get the win. And we have a new European champion. And Sergeant Slaughter, safe to say, was not happy. Cornette had the quote of the night, no doubt in my mind. It was a ruse, a ploy, a plot, a plan, a charade, conspiracy, a sham, we've been conned, hoodwinked, bamboozled, flim-flam, and had the world pull over their eyes even. It's not as great as Stephen A's. You know, we've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amuck, and flat-out deceived. That was the level of Jim Cornettery, and it was absolutely amazing. Jim Cornet is just a great way with words, and this is another prime example, especially when Jim Cornett starts just talking and he's able to be unhinged and be uncensored. That's when he gets really good. Then we get to Shawn Michaels. He starts fake crying while Sergeant Slaughter looks on. Triple H says the greatest moment of his life. And then Michael ends it by saying they made an ass out of Slaughter once again. But Slaughter's just standing there with a big ass smile on his face and says that Triple H is going to defend the title next week at Nassau against Owen Hart. And this was kind of a big takeaway of the show. It was okay. It was weird. And it really speaks to how we remember more of the high spots of the attitude era. And they were so great, but we kind of forget there was some real clunkers. There was some real like dumb crap that felt like you just didn't need to be there. And this was another prime example of that. Stone Cold hitting the stunner on Santa and the Rock Undertaker match, you know, that was one of the only things I could like outright write home about and be like, hey, this is pretty damn cool. Lo and behold, we're sitting here and it's like that's what we got. It was a bit of a dud. It was a bit of a dud in my opinion, but Hopefully, if you want to go check it out, it's on the network right now. And I, I'll say this. I laughed and I nodded along, but I'm like, did that really like need to be a show? That really needed to be a show. And I had the fact that he had that exclusive thing on a tape raw. You could have taped that like, And I, it, was, it was dumb. It was just dumb. Again, outside of Austin, Sonic, Santa, I just did not care for the show. It was probably one of the few times I'm just going to sit here and be like, I miss actual real wrestling, the new stuff, because my God, this was just trash for a lot of it, at least in my mind. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You to get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.